Testament reading today. We're looking at uh, 2 Timothy 4. Some of Paul's uh, most precious words to Timothy. He's just reminded Timothy what he needs to be about. And then he says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again as we, uh, we turn to the word. God, our gracious Father, we thank you that you condescend to speak to us and to speak to us forcibly and powerfully and clearly and graciously. And so we pray that your gracious words would make entrance into our hearts today. We pray again that you'd search us and know us and see if there be any wicked way in us. And God, that you would lead us today in the way everlasting. And so we submit to the authority of your word. We submit to the lordship of your spirit. We pray, O oh God, for your glory uh, to be known in Christ's name. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts today, Lord, may these be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today I want to, uh, to linger. I want to linger over these, not linger in the sermon, but to linger over these closing words from Paul. And uh, over, the next, over the next few Sundays, I want to give you uh, three short, but I hope sufficiently weighty reflections on um, these closing words of Paul to Timothy. Today, looking at uh, his uh, comment about being poured out as a drink offering. Um, next week, looking at these threefold descriptors of uh, what he's done, the good fight, the race, the faith. And then finally, the week after, looking at what he has to say about looking to the Lord's return, the righteous judge returning uh, and waiting for that crown. So three short reflections on three very, very important uh, elements of Paul to Timothy. And then we'll wrap up with the final... Um, the final passage of 2 Timothy on the 24th before, we, uh, before our family leaves for holidays. Um, so two things are going on today in our passage, and I want to briefly uh, look at these two things. If you look in verse 6, you see that, um, that first word, for. Last week, we looked at all of these, uh, these four elements that Paul was urging upon Timothy. You must be like this, sober-minded. You must have sobriety. You must uh, do the work of an evangelist. You must endure hardship. You must fulfill your ministry, Timothy. These four qualities. Now, Paul begins verse 6 with this, uh, this Greek word gar. For. Why should you do this? Why should you do these things? For. Paul now is concerned. He links all of these qualities of Timothy's ministry to his imminent departure. Paul is very, very concerned who's going to come after him. You must be like this, Timothy, for I will be here not much longer. 
do this because I'm leaving soon. Now, some of us might be tempted to think that there's a certain arrogance in Paul, a certain presumption here. There's no one like me. I'm so very important. I'm so very weighty as an apostle, and therefore you need to bring yourself up to speed here. You need to pull up your bootstraps, Timothy, and get in shape. Some of us might be tempted to think that way, but I don't think that's the case. Paul simply knows who he is by the grace of God. He knows that he's one who's kept the faith. He knows that he's one who's run the race. He knows that he's one who has fought the fight, as few others do. And he knows that he's one that can say with all sincerity, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul is very concerned about who's coming after him, and he's deeply impressed with his need to pass on his, his, um, um, his way of life to those who are coming after. That has to be on our agenda as well. That has to be part of our concern as a church. We are concerned for who's coming after. Now, in one sense, we're a very young church. We're not in Paul's place, hopefully, seeing the, the, our demise just uh, you know, across the threshold, although that might come for any of us. We can step out at any moment and a bus smack us on Harvey or something. We just never know what's going to happen. Life is short, out, out, brief candle. But as we grow as a church, one of our fundamental concerns must be, along with the Apostle Paul, who's coming after? Who are we raising up? What kind of people will follow us um, after on, on one hand? And also, we need people like Paul. I've said this before, and I know I'm repeating myself here, but it's part of what this passage is teaching us. We need exemplars like Paul to whom we can look, from whom we can receive inspiration. You know Elizabeth Elliot, some of you have read Elizabeth Elliot's books. She is an Anglican. She was. She's now passed away. Um, wonderful woman of God. Um, and uh, a woman, I think, with whom many of us share many sympathies uh, and, and common concerns. Elizabeth Elliot was really a giant of the faith that walked amongst us, very, very humble. Um, but you know her story with her husband, with the Aka Indians. I'm, I'm sure some of you have read Through Gates of Splendor. For those of you who are about to get married or looking to get married, you may read her book, Passion and Purity. Um, I'd advise you to read the journals of Jim Elliot if you haven't, uh, haven't done so. But Elizabeth Elliot was really a large soul. What made her who she was? Was it just her and Jesus? That's not what she says. Elizabeth Elliot says, I've been, I've been looking at her book, um, A Chance to Die, which is her biography of Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was a wonderful woman who went to India to uh, labor among the orphans and the poor. Elliot says of Carmichael, her vision of the unseen and her ardent effort to dwell in its light, making any sacrifice for its sake, it seems hardly believable that someone can live in that way. And then Elliot says, Carmichael became my spiritual mother. She showed me the shape of godliness, 
her loyal answering of the Lord's call, come follow me, has made an incalculable difference to my life. You see, for Elliot, it wasn't just me and Jesus. I mean, you need that, but not alone. And so I want to ask you simply and uh, quite uh, clearly this morning, who are you looking to? What spiritual lodestar is gleaming in your sky that beckons you and calls you? Second star on the right and straight on till morning in Peter Pan language. What are you looking to? You need it. You know, some of us are uncomfortable with the, uh, the, iconog uh, the iconography of the Eastern Church. And certainly many of us are uncomfortable with the iconophiles of the Eastern Church. But we have to recognize that there's something there. Eminent servants of God help us to follow Christ. Eminent servants of God help bring us to Christ. Eminent servants of God, they, they, they work on the bellows. And they fan into flame what wouldn't be there if we weren't looking to them. And for many of us, we need to get our eyes off Netflix. Off these other Hollywood stars. And onto the right stars. The Amy Carmichaels. The Martin Luthers. The Pauls. Um, it's very, very important. Paul uses himself as an example. He, he wants to pass this on to Timothy. And Timothy wouldn't be who he became to be. You know, this fearful young man, timid, wants to give up. When we read in um, the, the tradition of the church what happened to Timothy, you'll know that he went out to Ephesus one day and he saw their idols in a parade. And he went forth and he spoke against them. And they martyred him, and they put him to death, because he ventured forth to what? To rebuke, and to reprove, and to let the gospel speak to its culture. This timid man, why? Because he looked to Paul, who was looking to Jesus. Who are you looking to? You can't do it on your own. And Hollywood will not inspire you. The sitcoms won't inspire you. These people will. It made a difference for Elizabeth Elliot. It will make a difference to you. That's one thing. Paul's deeply concerned for who's coming after, and he sets himself up as an example. For I'm leaving soon, Timothy. Therefore, you must be this. Secondly, Paul identifies his life with a drink offering. He says here, I'm ready, I, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Now, you'll know that this isn't the first time Paul's spoken like this. When Paul was writing to the uh, church at Philippi, there's two prison experiences, right, for the Apostle Paul. When he's writing to Philippi, Paul's in house, house arrest, as we learn at the end of Acts. Paul is, is in house prison. He's fairly comfortable, and Paul is expecting a release. In fact, he figures he's going to be released. It's not the case here. Evidently, Paul was in house prison, was released, probably went and did a number of other missionary endeavors, and then at a later period, came under heat again and was imprisoned in a much more uh, gruesome way and much more uh, certain um, towards death. But when he writes to Philippi, 
and he, when he writes to the Philippians, he says to them in, in uh, Acts, uh, Philippians 2.17, he, he says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your faith. It's a lovely image, you know. In the Old Testament, there's all kinds of, um, of sacrificial offerings going on. There's sin offerings. There's guilt offerings. But then there's this thing called the burnt offering. We see this way back in Genesis and up through in Numbers. It describes the burnt offering. The burnt offering was an offering of, of surrender to God, of wholehearted submission to him. It was an offering that could be used of thanksgiving to God, of praise to God, of uh, uh, the completion of a vow to God. But it meant I am surrendering all that I am to you. And even as this piece of meat is being burned, so I reckon my life a living sacrifice to you. This is what Paul means in Romans 12. You make your life a living sacrifice to God. Paul doesn't reject all this stuff. <laughs> he reinterprets it now in Christ. Um, that burnt offering... The meat placed on the altar, lit on fire, represents entire consecration to God, which is the call for all of us. That's what the church is all about. The church is a people being taken out of the world and made to be consecrated to God entirely, made holy. Gods. That's the church. Now look what Paul says here. I am being poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your faith. What's the sacrifice of the faith that he's talking about? He's now talking about the church as a burnt offering. In the book, uh, the book of Numbers, uh, God explains to Moses how these things are to be done and how the burnt offering is to be done. And he says, when the burnt offering is done, you may also pour upon that burnt offering a, a certain measure of wine. And when that wine falls upon the burnt offering, it will release a fragrance and an aroma that is well-pleasing to God. Paul now says, I am like the wine. And I don't doubt, Paul knows he's going to die by the sword. Paul knows what's going to happen with that rush of red fluid that pours out of his body. <laughs> I am like a drink offering. I am like that wine being poured upon the church, which is being separated to God. And everything that I do in life is to make the church more fragrant, more pleasing, more beautiful to God. <laughs> what a wonderful image. That's all that I am. My life exists to make the offering of the church more fragrant to God. Now you can imagine what happens when that wine goes on to that burning hot altar. Cordy, you know, as you cook and you throw some wine into a hot, hot pan. Doesn't last an awful long time. Psh, puff of mist, a puff of smoke, and it's gone. And some people might look at Paul's life and all of his intellect and all of his wit, all of his, his will and his, 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 uh, his psychological and, and, and spiritual powers and say, what a waste. What a waste. Life so quickly gone. All that stuff poured upon this for what, Paul? What a waste. Reminds us, doesn't it, of that woman in Bethany. 
She came to Jesus this life that represents the church, a life set apart to God. And she comes with something very, very costly, very, very precious, an alabaster box. And she breaks it, and she pours all of that, that uh, precious ointment upon Jesus, and she anoints him, and the fragrance immediately, it diffuses through the room. And what do the disciples say? What a waste. What a waste. But she was pouring out what was precious to make this consecration to God more fragrant. Brothers and sisters, no matter what you do, no matter what you are, no matter what your vocation is, your calling, like Paul, is to give everything that you have so that the burnt offering of the church may be more aromatic and more fragrant and more beautiful to God. Not getting lost in aspirations of retirement or vocation or travel. All those things are good in themselves, but they pale in comparison to being poured out like a drink offering. And then your life, when you do that upon the church, this beautiful fragrance erupts. And the world will say of you, what a waste. Look at her gifts. What a waste. But God is well pleased in Christ with you for that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.